Well, we, we're back in the, Paul's little book of Colossians, so you can take your Bibles and turn to Colossians, and we're in chapter 1, and uh, sit here, here, working now through that, read the, the, the gospel message that Paul has given us. Let's pray and ask his blessing on this time. Father, do pray for our hearts and for your word. Um, I pray for my heart. I pray that you will open the word to us, that your spirit would be working, not just in me, but in all of us in our hearts, and that we would be receptive to the things you have to say to us and the things that you want to do in us and through us. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. You are so good to us and so patient with us. I thank you for that. I thank you for your care. I pray that as we are working our way through these verses that relate to issues about the gospel, that you would be pleased to speak clearly to us. None of us, especially the speaker, is in a position of being able to point to ourselves as having fully accomplished these things. We are weak, frail, and uh, I'm especially aware of that as we've been looking at these topics. And I pray that you will, in spite of the weakness of the speaker and the distractions that may be in our lives, that you would help us to profit from these, these verses and the things that you have to say to us. Lord, I ask that the Lord Jesus Christ would have free reign in our hearts and with me, and that he would work in our lives for your glory. Do your work in our lives as our shepherd and make us more of what you want us to be and, and uh, more effective as witnesses for your kingdom and for your glory and for your ultimate glory as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. It's good. Amen. Paul writes... Um, Beginning in uh, Colossians 1, verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is constantly bearing fruit, and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love of the Spirit. We'll stop there. That's, uh, you know, Paul writes long sentences like that. John was mentioning it this morning about the sentence at the beginning of Ephesians, which is one sentence covers almost the whole chapter. And, uh, but there's a lot there. What I'm doing is trying to get a running start through that passage, but I have picked out, uh, I think it was seven key words in that text to just kind of open those words up because they all relate to the gospel. To kind of let us know what Paul is doing, he's writing and he's expressing thanksgiving uh, to the Lord for the church 
he, he mentions it at the beginning when he says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it makes it sound like that whatever he is praying, he's just always thanking God for the church. But actually, I think the best way to read that is that um, when, when he goes to that text and he says, uh, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since the day we heard of your faith in Christ. I think what he's saying there in that text is that we, when we work with you, when we pray for you, when we think about you, we're always thankful to God for you. I don't think it's that he's saying that we are praying for the church constantly all the time, but what he's doing is saying that when we do bear reference to you, when we do about thinking about you, we are thankful to God for you and for your work and for the work of the church. And that's true. We know that's true. That um, And Paul talks about that, being thankful and praying for effectiveness. And um, we, we do that anyway. We, I, I pray that uh, for my life and for your life as well, and I know you do that, that we want to be effective and we want and effectiveness is not something that we can just generate by gritting our teeth and stomping our feet but it is the work of the lord through his word in our lives and that we have to kind of put ourselves in a place in which we can receive these things in which we can grow so paul is thankful to the church and that's what he's He's mentioning to them there that he, when he thinks about them, he's thankful. He's thankful for the work. He's thankful that this group has begun to grow. The first word in that text there that we were looking at is the word faith, which he mentions in verse 3. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And we talked about faith, and I'm not going to go through and, and rehash that. But he's just, he's simply saying that um, we are always thankful to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for their faith. Their faith, which is the faith of their belief, their receptive, reception of the message of the truth of God. We have to receive God's word. We have to receive the message. It isn't something that, it is powerful, it is true, and many times the Lord will override our stubborn heart, and he's done that with me, and I'm sure he's done that with you, to put yourself in the scriptures. I have come to the word many times reluctantly because I have other things on my mind, other distractions in my life, things that I want to do, and I've realized that I've been in a hurry, and I kind of feel ashamed about that, and so I will say, Lord, I'm I'm going to stop and spend a little bit of time reading these verses and putting myself in a place where you can speak. And I think most of the time he really melts my heart. He opens my heart and makes me uh, receive a real blessing from the text that otherwise was sort of, I was sort of reluctant. I don't, I don't, I don't mean, and I'm, I'm just trying to, trying, to, trying to be transparent. I don't mean to make you think that I'm just really bored with the Lord all the time, but there, there's just times when I just don't want to come and read my Bible. There's just times when I have other things I want to do. Things that insofar as urgency or concern 
seem to be more important than taking another day and another 20 minutes to read the text, and yet they're not. I know that. So uh, here's just the case that, that the Lord tells us that he, he takes the word and he, he uses it and he gives, Paul says, I was very thankful to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for their faith. Don't miss it, and I, there the phrase, um, thankful to uh, the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase appears, I wrote that down here. That phrase appears uh, not only here in this text, but it appears in Romans 15, 6, 15, 6 uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. John this morning was reading it from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and I think verse 4, it overflows into that. And then 1 Peter 1, 3, exact same phrase, which is a way of saying that uh, Paul is recognizing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why does he say it that way? Um, it's because of the similarity, the, the, the similarity of the nature between the Father and the Son. I, uh, my, I have a son there. I'm not better than my son. Uh, there's, there's no... Uh, vast, I mean, both of them were gifted in different areas and we do different things, but this is the way of saying that they're, we're equal. I may be the father, he is the son in that sense. This is not saying that God had a, uh, became pregnant and had a son. It's not saying that. It's what, what it's saying is it's a way of saying that the son is equal to the father and uh, that the father, the, the plan of the Trinity resides with God the Father and God the Son and God the the Holy Spirit and the three persons, which are equal, work together uh, as one God, and yet they work in three distinct persons. It is complicated in a way, and yet it's it's clear from the scripture. If you read the scriptures, you go through and you find these three persons that are revealed in scripture. Our God is so great and so majestic, and we'll be spending the rest of eternity trying to understand him. And uh, he's too wonderful. In fact, he uses that as part of his name at times. He's too wonderful for us to really be able to comprehend, and yet he's better than that. And we will have the privilege of being a small part of the publication of his grace and mercy. We will be one of the small witnesses to give testimony of the greatness of his mercy and grace because we are sinners. And we are wretched sinners, and yet he has had mercy in, on us. So, here is Paul, and he's talking about this grace. He's very thankful for their faith um, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come now to the next word that I want to look at, and it's the word love. And by the way, don't miss in this context the three words. Um, in fact, let me back up and look at verse 4. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you had for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. You've probably heard about that. Paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there exist three things. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And you're familiar with those. Those three appear over and over and over again. Faith, can I just give you a little bit of a kind of a, a, a maybe an outline of those three things? Faith 
is the confidence, if you will, that we have in what God is and what he does and what he says. Love is the, the overflowing performance or action that we have and express to each other. And then the word hope is the anticipation or expectation of what will, how that will pan out in our lives in the future. And uh, so those three things work together, and he mentions that here in the text. And so I think it's interesting. They, they are appear, they appear quite a bit uh, throughout scripture. Um, and they're, they're very, they're common, very <coughs> common issues that uh, are mentioned, faith, hope, and love. Well, let's look at love for a moment. Word is the word agape, the, the noun form. I think is the verb form. And the word doesn't speak of what we think of as love. We use the word love and usually we speak of an emotion. <sighs> I just love her to death. Can't get enough of her. You know, it's that kind of thing. You feel something. But that's not the way that agape, in fact, the word agape is not really used in in the classical contemporary Greek culture it was a word that was used in the New Testament and it has to do with love that is volitional love that provides good for a person even when that person doesn't respond the way that you want them to respond that it doesn't seem like that, that they are recognizing that I love them and they should respond back <clears throat> doesn't mean that it's a volitional it's a love of choice it's the word that's used in John three sixteen. When it says, well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, the world has not expressed a great deal of love for God the Son. Um, in fact, the, the world has gone its own way. And uh, Jesus said that he gave his, uh, he gave his word to the, the disciples and the world, world has hated them for it. And uh, the world is, is against, most of the time, Christ, who he is and what he's done. They have their own, I shouldn't say they, because sometimes we do the same thing. We, we have our own agendas, and sometimes we twist those agendas around. So I guess what we're saying here is that the word for love there, the word agape, is a word that means, as it's used in John three sixteen, that God gives and demonstrates good things to those that he has chosen and he's given us the good things we need. The world did not want salvation uh, that God provided the way that God provided what he wants. The world wants, yeah, the world wants to go to heaven, but they want to go to heaven on their own terms. They want to be able to take their own things and have their own parties and their own, you know what I'm saying? They, uh, in fact, Jesus said he came to the world as light and the men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The light has come into the world and men didn't want the light, um, but yet he has come. And so John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, which was what we needed. And he did, and it was a magnificent gift, not that we appreciate it necessarily. In fact, he goes on in John saying, that Christ came to his own, his own received him not, but to as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the sons of God. And so this is this is the love. This is the word uh, agape. And you notice there in this context 
that uh, this word is is um, it's used in two ways. It's used of of uh, love or doing good for one another, and it's it men's response to one another as well as men's response to God. You have a Bible. Turn to John 13 for just a moment to see this word because it's an important word. It's used in context here with men when he says that um, there was love which you have for all the saints. John 13 and he beats men in John 10. This is John 13. Um, 1334. John 1334, which you're familiar with, a new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you that you love one another. And here is love that is directed by man to man. He said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another even as I have loved you. Now there is the love that God has displayed toward us, it's very sacrificial love, that you also love one another. Then notice what he says in verse 35. It's by this, and what it is is by this love, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. There is that very important relationship that he gives between the brothers here in the church and their display of love there. And I just recognize that it, the love is not just simply a feeling, as I said, but it is an action, a display. And uh, that's why he says, a love which you have for all the saints, it's something that is real, it's something that is tangible. Pete mentioned several times that the way you know about things sometimes is by their effect. And if you say you love somebody, there is an effect. It is a byproduct. It's a way of demonstrating it. So Jesus is saying here, this is a new commandment I give unto you. What is a commandment? It's not an option, is it? It's not a suggestion. It's something that's real. Jesus has given us a commandment that this is a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. How do we measure and evaluate and describe and put uh, some kind of measurement on that love so we'll know what he's talking about but he says it there you love one another even as I have loved you love love not an emotion but a provision a pursuit a priority a practice you love, display, pursue, protect, provide for one another, even as I love, protect, pursue, and provide for you. You you do that for each other, even as I have done you, done for you. And by this practice, all men will know that you are my disciples. So here's this, this uh, word agape that's used here in this text, and it's there in that context to describe this very important display of love that they are to have for one another. This, this is, reminds me of 1 John, back over John, 1 John chapter 2, where um, John in writing, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, he says this, 
Okay. Um, it says First uh, John chapter two verse nine: the one who says he is in the light yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause of stumbling in him. Who is the light? Jesus is the light. We know that. And so he says there that the one who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause of stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness until now. Uh, and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Uh, verse chapter 3, if you go down to chapter 3, verse 10. Um, he says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Uh, verse 14 and 15 kind of expands a little bit on that. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Again, that word love is action. It's an action word. We provide for, protect, pursue our brothers. Um, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Then chapter four, one verse in chapter four, and I'll stop, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So here it is, the, the passage over and over again is telling us to love each other, to, to have that display of God's love to us, toward each other, and to provide that. And that's important. And so in our text there, not only has he said that uh, to preserve the faith in our Lord Jesus, but also the love which you have for all the saints, that, that love, and that's important. And, and we know that we've had people, in fact, uh, Hunt Keith uh, sent me a text after he came the other day. And he said he really appreciates the display of love that we have in the church. And he said some good things. I won't say a lot of the things he said because I don't want to, it makes us kind of pat ourselves on the back. But he said some good things about the church. <coughs> it, was, it was very complimentary. But it basically boiled down to the fact that. Uh, he thought it was a good display of love for one for another. And I think and that's a compliment. That's really, that's a very good thing. So that's really important. The third word that we'll look at, and I'll stop after this, is the word hope or expectation. It uh, makes us look forward in anticipation to the things that the Lord is going to be doing. Um, Second Timothy I wrote down this morning, and I can't remember Second Timothy. Paul's letter to, to Second Timothy four uh, eight, right? Paul and I was thinking about this. He says, um, in verse seven. He says, "I have fought a good fight." This is Paul's kind of 
facing his imminent death, he's not going to be around much longer. They're going to they'll take his head off the Roman government will. And so he says, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not to me only, but also all who have loved his appearing. That word love there uh, means that we have provided for, we're living for in the light of his coming back, that the fact that we know we're going to stand before him, the fact that we know that these things are going to cross our path should affect how we live today. I, I don't want to be, I, I'm very conscious of the fact that I make, that I am a sinful person and I have sinful priorities. I know that, I know you know that, and I want you to know that. I don't want to be a hypocrite, but it's important that our hearts desire to please him and we want to please him and that we seek to do that. And uh, it's, it's really, it's necessary. And in that frame of reference, we know that there is a day in which we're going to give account. And that's, that's a serious thing. Um, and I'm just, you know, there are a lot of verses that talk about one of the verses that has always kind of shaken my case a little bit is the passage where the Lord talks about that we're going to give an account of every idle word. That's a pretty, you know, because my mouth runs a lot and I talk a lot and there are a lot of idle words that come out and I, I know what he's saying there that is that what comes out of our mouth is a reflection of what? What's in our hearts. That's what Jesus said, the mouth speaks out of what fills the heart. And so what comes out of your mouth is a reflection. My grandmother, I told you this, it's one of my favorite things I remember about my grandmother, <coughs> real godly lady, very sweet. She always was there at the dinner table, and, and sometimes you, I would get sort of cocky or arrogant or a little bit demanding, wanting this, wanting that, pouting or acting immature, whatever it is. And I would have a like a, had a glass of milk and had a little black speck on it. Never will forget that. And uh, I made I'm commenting on it. I said, "There's a little speck in my milk," and grandmother said. It's not what goes in your mouth that does the damage, it's what comes out. <laughs> and she's absolutely right. She is. And, uh, and I knew it. I, didn't I couldn't say anything. But uh, and that, little, that little bitty speck is nothing compared to what the damage that can be done when your mouth runs. So the mouth speaks out of what, what's in the heart. And um, what I'm trying to say is in this context is that we are, we are living in the present now with a direction that we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account in the future. And uh, so, as Paul said to Timothy, we, we, uh, we know that on that day we're going to give an account. We want to, we want to do that. And, and um, you know, as I get older, and I'm aware that how fragile, I don't know if you realize how fragile you are. I mean, we were praying for David. One day he's fine, the next day he's in the hospital or whatever. But that can happen to everybody in this room. It takes nothing. It's not a, it's not a difficult thing for the Lord 
to put us in the sideline and to slow us down. In fact, it's, it's uh, such an easy thing and we don't realize it. We, at least I don't, I don't realize how we can get kind of cocky and sort of prideful and <laughs> think that we are really in this, this thing and we got everything together. And it doesn't take anything at all for the Lord to knock us down real quick. Those kinds of things, realizing that, realizing how vulnerable I am, realizing that I'm going to stand before the Lord, realizing that I'm going to give an account for him, for me, um, makes me um, realize in a way how fragile and how quickly the Lord can turn the tide. Okay, right now, I feel fine and I'm happy and I have my bills paid and everything. That can change so quickly. It's nothing. So um, because of that, and because I want to please the Lord, and because I don't want to get caught um, in trouble or doing something I shouldn't, I, I want to try to please Him and obey Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just, it's, it's important. So that's kind of what we're thinking about when we talk about hope. And here he says that there is laid up for you in heaven this uh, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That word laid up means that this is something that's reserved. It is secure for you. There is a hope laid up for you. There is a glory. There is an accountability. There is something laid up for you in heaven um, of what you previously heard dealing with the gospel, the word of truth. And the gospel is about that. So people make fun of it sometimes. They say, talk about pie in the sky by and by. And they, they sort of laugh at that. At least I've heard people laugh at that. It's not a laughing matter. It's a wonderful truth. Because it's, not, <clears throat> it's nice. I've, I've had a number of funerals, and I've sat there and looked down at the casket, and I can tell you there's a vast, vast, vast difference between the, the funerals of people who know the Lord Jesus Christ and those who do not. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an it's accountability that, that we need to take seriously. Um, so I guess what we're saying here is that this hope, which I guess we could call it the expectation, is uh, in, we, we are living the, in the present, the present, in the light of the future, in uh, hope, in anticipation of, and this is, the word there, hope, is, is not simply the same thing as wishing is not saying we wish for this and wish for that. Although you may wish for certain things, um, I'm sure that if we were to take a survey of people that wish for things and we would ask them, how many of you want to go to heaven? Probably the vast majority of people would raise their hand and say they want to go. But the thing is that they don't want to go God's way. We want to do it our way and we don't want to We don't want to deny ourselves of the toys and the things that we like here. And, and I include myself in that because I can see that struggle in my heart, to be honest with you. And so I, I, I just recognize that this is a serious thing. He tells us to count the cost. Why does he tell us to do that? Because there is a cost. There is, it is a struggle. It is a, it's a demanding. And it's not that we are bloody, our head is bloody and and we are just, it's not that, it's that he just says, put him first. It's really the best life there is. 
but we we kind of deceive ourselves thinking that we want something different so this is the hope this is the hope that's laid up you in heaven uh which you previously heard in the word of truth in the gospel and i'm thinking about that um peter talks about that in first peter 1 4. <clears throat> To obtain talks about obtaining an inheritance. Listen how he describes it. We have an, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, will not perish. It's undefiled, will not be contaminated, will not be defiled. It will not fade away, won't be diminished, there won't be enough with uh, depreciation or whatever. It is not only that kind of, of a reward, but it is also one that is reserved in heaven under your name is reserved for you those of you who are protected right now by the power of god through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time that's a good that's a good thought so we're living in the present um, with anticipation and uh, desire and uh resting i guess you could say in the promises of god for the future it, what what god is going to do in our lives in the future affects our lives now our hope now hebrews uh let's see. hebrews 11 24 passage that you are very familiar with talking about moses and you're familiar with this one uh, moses is one of the accounts in the old testament that really teaches us to appreciate uh, the power of our upbringing, the effectiveness of our upbringing. Because Moses was a baby and he was born in a culture where it was against the law for him to survive. The Pharaoh had given the command that all the male children in Israel, the Jewish children, be killed. And of course, I'm sure that they, they, they didn't. But in the case of Moses, the parents, uh, Moses' mother, and they refused to kill him. And uh, they tried to preserve his life until they got to the point where they couldn't keep it a secret any longer. And so they took that little baby and put him in a, like an ark, a wicker basket, you know what I'm saying? They weaved it and put pitch on it and put it out of the Nile. I, I can't think of any greater test of faith than that because you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to take your sweet little baby boy, the little child that was born to you, and have to. A small period of time, take him and put him in that basket and put him out there in the river among the reeds and then stand back and just let him go and leave him there, trusting the providence of God to take care of him. But that's what they did. And uh, they found out that God's providence was a lot better able to take care of that baby than the mother's care and the sister's care because God, the Pharaoh's daughter came down there and they saw the baby, they saw the ark, they brought the ark, opened it up, the baby's the tears of that child. Uh, started crying and it really touched her heart. I always think about the power of a baby's tears. It's an insignificant thing, but that child crying really touched her heart. She realized what it was, and then the sister, Miriam, was there, and she came to the mother, I mean, to the Pharaoh's daughter, and she said, do you want me to find somebody that can nurse the child? 
And she said, yes. So she brought the child's mother, Moses' mother, and the Pharaoh's daughter gave the baby to him. She said, you take care of the child and I'll pay, I'll, I'll pay you to do it. So now the mother was not only taking care of her own child, but she was paid to do that. And so she had whatever she needed to take care of it. And uh, But you can see God's hand in it throughout that, that, that situation. And so we know that that takes place. Now let's listen here in this passage and then I want to be done. In Hebrews 11, it talks about when, by faith, when Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because he saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's eating. Right. Yeah, I'm sure that they loved their child. They did not want the child to die. But this passage here uh, indicates that the king's edict did not overpower their fear of and understanding of what God was doing. They, they really put a, a greater stress on that. They didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, that's why it's called by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So here is now this man in a very enviable place, he is a Hebrew, but he is there being cared for uh, as almost next in line. Pharaoh, very, very, very powerful, prestigious position, and uh, everything he needs and he, that everything he wants is nothing that would be withheld from him. And um, so, by faith, when Moses grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So what is it he was setting his hope on was God's work, God's people enduring that rather than indulging the pleasures of sin for seasons. Do I have that kind of strength and courage? Do you have that kind of strength and courage and that determination? That's a pretty, that's a pretty strong motivation. He set his heart on what God was doing and promising in the future rather than what was being provided for him right now. So uh, he was considering the reproach of Christ at greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was, listen to this, looking to the reward. That means that there's something better in the future than was provided in the present. And there was some pretty good stuff provided in the present there for a person who, who enjoys comfort in the easy living, there's a lot of good stuff provided for him. But he looked he looked for the reward as a higher priority. So he was setting his goal on the future. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. In other words, he had the eyes of faith. He was looking beyond the physical to the to the future and to the promises that God has had for us. Do we do that? I don't know if we can do that or not. I, I, I know we should. I, I, that's one reason why I think it's important, frankly, that, and I stress it all the time, is to be in your word. Because the word is where we get our focus clearly on the things of God and who he is and what he's done. And we turn our eyes from the present. The song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But where do you see Jesus? You see him in the word. That's where you learn about it. That's where you learn who he is and what he's done. And so he was seeking him who is unseen and uh, that he was setting his hope in his uh, future. 
Uh, he goes on to say there, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he uh, restored the firstborn, would not, would not touch them. And he goes on to talk, I'm not going to keep reading that. It's just enough for us to see here in this text that Moses is a good example of someone, a real person in real circumstances with, with all kinds of obstacles and maybe excuses as to why he could take it easy. Uh, this person had a real focus on God, on his promises of the future and the blessing that he has promised. And it, it made a big difference in his life. And as you know, Moses turned out to be one of the most significant individuals who ever lived. And he was the, was the kind of the, the shepherd the, the, of that nation and led that nation across the Red Sea and into Israel. And God's plan is still uh, being unfolded because Moses was the author of the Old Testament, a lot, much of the Old Testament. And so there's a lot of blessing. There is blessing promised to those who put God first. And I want to do that, and I know you want to do that too, so it's very important. Well, we'll stop there. The next thing we're going to be looking at is the fact that these things are proclaimed in all the world, the gospel. But right now, we just stop with those three things, faith, love, and hope. Those three things connected in one way or the other with the work of the gospel and what the Lord is doing in us. So let's give a closing prayer. Oh, thank you for... Um, these, these things. Thank you for the hope that you've given to us. You've, you've given us faith. You've told us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We know that we get that faith by going to the scriptures and reading who you are and what you've done. The, the reality of love, the display of that faith toward each other and toward you, we know that that is, that is a result of us coming to you and taking you seriously and you, you have made it clear that we are to have good deeds and good works. <coughs> I pray that you'll help us to do that, to really seek that, to pursue that. Help us to live um, in the reality of your call, of your, your will for us. Help us to really seek to put that out and flesh that out. And then finally, the hope, the, the future, reality of the promises. Lord, I know that there is a day coming when I'll stand before you. And that that is a, in one sense, that's a terrifying thing. I'm scared of you in that sense. I really am. And I ask you to help me to be sensitive to you and not to, to tread on your grace, not to, to walk um, in an un disobedient or ungodly manner, but to live in a way that's pleasing to you. And I pray that you'll use me, and I pray that you use us. We're talking about the church, and we're looking at your direction for the days, these days to come, and how we can be used to you. I pray that you'll help us to do that, help us to be effective, help us to have clear vision, help us to listen. I know that we cannot manipulate you, and you're not a magic genie. I can remember as a boy that I promised to go to church five times if you would do some certain things for me that's trying to manipulate you. Um, you could have just wiped me off the face of the earth because in a sense of what reduces you to just a servant. But you've been very patient with me and merciful with me and with us. You're merciful in teaching us these things. You're gracious to do that. Thank you for that. Thank you for this time. I ask your blessing upon this, this fellowship, this congregation, this church, 
and the future of this. And thank you, Lord, for watching over us. Lots of times we don't realize it. Uh, I realize that as I get older and see even driving sometimes things that could have been an accident and realizing that that person stopped or this thing happened or that something else that we were doing to take care of us. You do watch over us. I'm very thankful for that. And I'm very thankful for your goodness, mercy, and grace and patience. Help us to be submissive to you. Lord, if there are those here, and uh, this is could be any one of us here, including the speaker, if there are those here who may be deceived about a relationship with you, I pray that you would just really speak to our hearts. Help us to know the truth, help that truth to bear fruit in our lives, that we would be sure that we love you and that we are called according to your purpose and serving you according to your will. Thank you for this time. We ask your blessing now for the remainder. Pray for the meeting tonight over at Larry's place. I pray for Larry. I ask you to really work with his heart. Thank you for his patience and uh, his heart and ask your blessing upon him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Thank you.